Hello? Can you still hear me? Hi, everyone. This is MC Owens. If you'd like to support the Lotus Underground and these Dharma transmissions, please consider becoming a Patreon member. You can go to patreon.com backslash mcowens or follow the links at lotusunderground.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the... This is another MCOens transmission. Hello. And welcome back to the Lotus Underground. This is MC Owens, and today I'm going to do a brief introduction, a kind of a Dharma talk, on a very, very short sutta from the Anguttara Nikaya, the enumerated discourses of the Buddha, um, from that section of the Pali Canon. And then I'll do a recitation of the sutta at the end. Uh, the sutta that I'll be doing is called in Pali the Vipalasa Sutta, which is the sutta on inversion. Uh, so I wanted to do a Dharma talk on this sutta for a few different reasons. First of all, I've actually already done a kind of a Dharma talk on this idea um, for my Dharma Doors class, which is my Sunday night Dharma talk that I do for the San Francisco Dharma Collective. And so there's actually a whole uh, video on YouTube about this idea, but I didn't really uh, look at this sutra in that class because we were looking at a Mahayana sutra that talked about this idea of inversion. Um, and that kind of brings me to my larger point of why I wanted to focus on this uh, sutta. So as many of you know, the Pali Canon you know, is the famous collection of early teachings of the Buddha. And the Pali Canon is, of course, considered the earliest writings of Buddhism. And the thing about it is, is that while that's true, that the Pali texts do seem to be the, you know, some of the earliest Buddhist writings, what's important to keep in mind is the difference between these individual suttas, these individual teachings, and then the what are called the nikayas, the collections of these teachings. And the point I want to make is, is that the collections of the suttas as we have them, the so-called Pali Canon divided into the different nikayas, the ordering, the selection of the suttas, all of that is actually indicative of the school of Buddhism that put those collections together, by which I'm kind of loosely referring to the, the Theravada uh, tradition, the kind of more Southeast Asian monastic tradition that I'm sure you're kind of aware of. The thing about it is, is that that particular sect or school of Buddhism, the, the Theravada being very monastic, the focus is very much on celibacy and morality, what would be called sort of, you know, shila or right action. And so what happens is, is that the suttas, the teachings where the Buddha is emphasizing uh, either renunciation or celibacy or, you know, just sort of ideas that are related to shila, those suttas are considered the most important. Those suttas are considered the most valuable. And so in the Theravada tradition, certain sutras are given prominence as the major discourses of the Buddha, the most important discourses. 
And a sutta like this, uh, the sutta I'm talking about today, the Vipalasa Sutta, this is a tiny sutta that gets relegated to the vast regions of this Anguttara Nikaya. And if, if you have a copy of the Anguttara Nikaya, you know how thick it is. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of different suttas. And so what's interesting for someone like myself who studies Buddhism both as a practitioner but as a historian, what's interesting is, is that when you begin to study Mahayana Buddhist traditions or even kind of what would be considered early Mahayana, and I'm speaking of the Sarvastivadin sect, uh, the, the Mahasamgika sect, and sort of these early forms of Mahayana Buddhism, when you start studying those and looking at those, the idea of the four inversions, which is what our sutra is about today, the Vipalasa, this idea of the four inversions seems very, very significant to other schools of early Buddhism. And so my point is, is that there were other sects and other schools of early Buddhism that seem to be, or seem to have been, much more psychologically oriented, for lack of a better term. The focus seems to have been much more on the mind, the nature of the mind, the processes of mind, and in a way really coming to understand that and working with that as a means of practice. And of course, that that way of approaching the Dharma or that way of doing Buddhism would become the center of the Mahayana path, which is essentially what I call sort of a, a wisdom tradition versus sort of an, an ascetic tradition or a tradition of renunciation. So for me, when I look at this tiny little sutta buried deep within the Anguttara Nikaya, I realize that in the Theravada, in their version of what Buddhism is, a sutta like this is, mm, I don't want to say insignificant, but it's not as significant or it's not as considered as significant as a lot of other suttas. And so because I've been studying and teaching so many Mahayana sutras, and I keep coming across this idea of the four inversions. In fact, if you're familiar with the uh, Pranya Paramita Heart Sutra, or just known as the Heart Sutra, sort of, you know, a foundational text for Mahayana Buddhism, if you're familiar with the Heart Sutra, you'll know the kind of important line of that short sutra where it talks about the bodhisattva escaping inverted or sometimes upside-down dreamlike thinking and completely realizing nirvana. So the bodhisattva path, as expressed in the Heart Sutra, speaks about overcoming inverted or upside-down thinking. And in you can read that just as sort of confused thinking, just as a kind of a, another way of talking about ignorance or another way of talking about delusion. But it would seem that that line of the Heart Sutra regarding escaping inverted thinking is a reference to vipalasa, as it is known in Pali. In Sanskrit, this idea is viparyasa, 
or viparaya. There's sort of different pronunciations, but the Pali, again, is vipalasa, and it means inverted, like upside down, like turned literally upside down. So before I recite this little sutta, I just kind of want to talk about its contents because it's actually quite dense for such a little sutta. So the thing about this idea of inversion, as we're going to hear in the sutta, it's complicated because, first of all, there are four aspects of inversion. And I'm just going to tell you what those are now. The basic idea of inversion is the idea, let me just begin with the first one. The description of the first inversion is mistaking that which is impermanent to be permanent. So this, of course, is classic Buddha Dharma. The idea is, is that all conditioned phenomena, all things are impermanent, decaying, falling apart. They do not last. Everything, nothing lasts. The problem is, is that we sometimes forget that. And there are certain things that we either think or hope will not change. There are certain things that we think or hope might stay permanent. And that idea that there, you know, that, oh, this, this might last or this might be permanent, that's a form of inversion. It is mistaking that which is impermanent to be permanent. So that's the first inversion. The second inversion is mistaking that which is suffering for bliss, which is to say mistaking dukkha as sukkha. So dukkha is that word for suffering, and then the opposite of that is sukkha, bliss. And so the second inversion regarding dukkha is somewhat related to the Four Noble Truths in terms of mistaking that which is suffering for being bliss, for being joy. The third inversion is about the notion of a soul or essence, or you could also say self. And that's that idea of the Atman or the Atta and this Buddhist teaching of Anatman or Anatta, no self. So the third inversion is about mistaking their being a self where there is no self. Or I guess you could put it mistaking no self as their being a self. And then the fourth inversion, the fourth inversion is a little tricky. It depends upon the exact usage and it has a few different, uh, just slight different connotations. The connotations can, can range from mistaking that which is ugly for beautiful or mistaking that which is impure for being pure. In general, though, what the fourth inversion seems to be dealing with is, to a certain degree, morality. Take something, for example, like ahimsa, nonviolence. An inversion, in this case, of mistaking that which is not beautiful for being beautiful, or that which is impure for being pure, it would be like taking something like violence and being confused and actually maybe, you know, watching like a violent movie, seeing someone murdered, 
and thinking that that is beautiful or interesting or what have you. From a Buddhist point of view, that is an inversion of mistaking that which is not beautiful, that which is not pure, and thinking that it's pure and thinking that it's beautiful. So those are the four inversions, mistaking the impermanent for permanent, mistaking suffering for bliss, mistaking that which is no self for having a self, and mistaking the impure or not beautiful for being beautiful or pure. Now, the tricky thing about this sutta is, though, is that the sutta is going to tell us that there are three aspects of the mind that are inverted in those four ways. And this is where things start to get kind of complicated, uh, truly, in, in, in the true sense of that word, complication, because we have a lot of different factors going on. So let me tell you what these three aspects of mind are that are inverted. So the three aspects of mind are going to be roughly translated as perception, mind, and view. Now those three things, if you, if you are a student of Dharma, we're talking about samya for perception. And remember, that's one of the five skandhas. It's the skanda of perception. The second aspect is chitta. Now, chitta, of course, is usually translated as mind, but in Buddhism, it's better to understood as a mind state or in any given state of mind at any given moment. And the third thing that is inverted is called a view or a drishti in Sanskrit. And this is the idea of like a worldview, a religious view, a political view, essentially kind of a, an opinion in that sense, a view. And so those are the three aspects of cognition, I suppose you could call it, but three aspects of cognition that this sutta is going to describe as being inverted in those four ways. And that's really where you start to get the idea of like a, a turning of the Dharma wheel. So as many of you know, I teach a course uh, on basic Buddhism called Turning the Dharma Wheel. And the idea of turning the Dharma wheel, even though that is usually used as a, a phrase for when the Buddha began Buddhism, he turned the Dharma wheel. But turning the Dharma wheel is actually kind of a technical idea within the world of Buddhism. And it has to do with um, lists like this. It has to do with having these kind of interlocking components where you have these four inversions and then these three things that are inverted in those four ways. And so what you start doing is you start going through the four ways that samya, perception, is inverted. And what that means is, is that if you consider perception you know, to be that, uh, the unique way that you perceive the world, the unique way that you perceive objects, the unique way, you know, by unique, I mean the conditionings of your mind, but the perception that you may have. And the idea is, is that that perception of what it is you're looking at could be inverted in four different ways, meaning you could be perceiving something that is impermanent and you're perceiving it as being permanent. 
or you could be perceiving something as being blissful when really it is suffering or perceiving there being a self where there is no self or perceiving something as being beautiful when really it is ugly in that sense. So samnya, perception, may be inverted in those four ways. Additionally, chitta, the mind state itself, may be inverted in those four ways. And so now the idea is not so much the perception being inverted, but the very mental state itself being inverted. And this could apply to the mind itself. This could apply to citta and mistaking that mind for being permanent when it is actually impermanent. Mistaking that mind for being in a blissful state when actually it is suffering. Mistaking that mind state to have a self when really there is no self or agent there. And then ultimately mistaking that state of mind as being purified when it is not purified. And then the third aspect of this is the view, the drishti. Now, again, this is a different aspect of mind because a drishti or a view is this kind of, this, it's this broader understanding of what's going on here. So not perception of specific objects, not a state of mind that thinks it's a self, but a view of reality that mistakes the impermanent for being permanent, and so on. So a view, a drishti, that is inverted, from a Buddhist point of view, would be something like a theistic worldview. And this does not need to be a Christian theistic worldview. It can also be a Brahmanic, Vedic uh, kind of traditional Indian point of view, but it's a, a view of reality that does see a soul, does see an essence that is sort of either in traditional Indian cosmology, the Atman or the soul or the essence is eternally transmigrating. It is eternally moving from incarnation to incarnation to incarnation, but the Atman itself, in a traditional Indian context, is considered permanent. And that's a worldview. That's a cosmology. That's a religious view that thinks the soul is permanent. And then that would be a drishti that is inverted from a Buddhist point of view. Likewise, there can be a worldview about what constitutes pleasure and a worldview about what constitutes suffering. And so that worldview could be inverted in, in maybe I'm thinking here of like hedonism. So from a Buddhist point of view, pure hedonism, where it's this, what is the, what is the point of life to satisfy the pleasures? That's it. We have the pleasures. It feels good to do things. So that's the point of life. That would be a drishti or a view that is inverted from this, from this perspective. Likewise, any worldview that believes in an Atman, that believes in a self or a soul in that way, or, a, just, a, or just a consistent self, that would be a view that mistakes there being a self when in reality there is no self. 
And then finally, there could be a view, a cosmological or religious view that mistakes the impure for pure. And so the way the Dharma wheel is turned in this case is by applying those four kinds of inversions to those three aspects of mind or those three aspects of experience. Now, like any good teaching of the Buddha, the Buddha is going to outline these four inversions of these three aspects of mind. But of course, the sutta will provide the remedy or the cure for these inversions. And so on that note, I'll just let the sutta speak for itself uh, when I do the recitation. There's just one last thing that I want to point out before I do that reading. It's going to have to do with the very end of the sutta that I find very interesting. As I already mentioned, a sutta like this doesn't get a lot of um, prominence within the Theravada tradition. You don't hear about this teaching much. And again, it's kind of relegated to an obscure part of the, the canon. And so, like I was saying, there's, there's a way in which there's another Buddhist tradition, a kind of early Mahayana Buddhist tradition, that seems to have been much more interested in this idea of the vipalasa, or the inversions. And so I couldn't help but notice, and so I'll bring this to your attention now, that the end of the sutta, it starts to sound a little bit like a Mahayana Buddhist sutra, where it starts talking about Buddhas, multiple Buddhas, not just the one Buddha, but Buddhas appearing in the world, and also a kind of a metaphor that you hear of a lot in Mahayana Buddhism, which is the light of the Buddha. So what we're going to hear about at the end of the sutta are these Buddhas arising in the world, sending out a brilliant light that reveals the Dharma. And that's a very Mahayana Buddhist sort of sentiment. And although you do hear it every now and then in the Pali Canon, I was kind of struck by this sutta that not only is the content of the sutta kind of leaning towards the Mahayana, but also even a little bit of the metaphors that it uses, like the emission of light. So, for all of those reasons, uh, I wanted to talk about this sutta and do this reading. And so, uh, without any further ado, uh, this is going to be the Vipalasa Sutta. Again, this is coming from the Anguttara Nikaya, the enumerated discourses of the Buddha. This is a teaching that's given in fours, because it's about the four inversions. So this is coming from the Book of Fours in the Anguttara Nikaya. This is going to be Sutta number 49, Part 9, and the title is Vipalasa. Bhikkhus, there are these four inversions of perception, inversions of mind, and inversions of view. What for? The inversion of perception, mind, and view that takes the impermanent to be permanent the inversion of perception, mind, and view that takes what is suffering to be pleasurable, the inversion of perception, mind, and view that takes what is non-self to be self, and 
the inversion of perception, mind, and view that takes what is unattractive to be attractive. These are the four inversions of perception, mind, and view. There are bhikkhus, these four non-inversions of perception, non-inversions of mind, and non-inversions of view. What for? The non-inversion of perception, mind, and view that takes the impermanent to be impermanent. The non-inversion of perception, mind, and view that takes what is suffering to be suffering. The non-inversion of perception, mind, and view that takes what is non-self to be without a self. And four, the non-inversion of perception, mind, and view that takes what is unattractive to be unattractive. These are the four non-inversions of perception, mind, and view. And then the Buddha said in verse, Perceiving permanence in the impermanent, perceiving pleasure in what is suffering, perceiving a self in what is non-self, and perceiving attractiveness in what is unattractive. Beings resort to wrong views, their minds deranged, their perception twisted. Such people are bound by the yoke of Mara and do not reach security from bondage. Beings continue in samsara, going from birth to death to rebirth. But when the Buddhas arise in the world, sending forth a bright light, they reveal this dharma that leads to the stilling of suffering. Having heard it, wise people regain their sanity. They see the impermanent as impermanent and what is suffering as suffering. They see what is non-self as not having a self and the unattractive as unattractive. By the acquisition of such right view, they overcome all suffering.